The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. here with, with Gabby Tuft and it's great to, to see you and reconnect with you. So much has happened over the years. And the last time I saw you, you were Tyler Rex. Yep. And it was a completely, <laughs> right. seems like a, a million years ago for you. How is that when you think back to, do, do you watch your old stuff and, and see you as Tyler Rex? And how, how does that make you feel when you see that? Uh, it's weird. Like, I don't feel like that guy exists anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like that guy died, you know, I know we try not, I don't know, like the community, we try not to say like it's a death, but honestly, I'm like, I can't even imagine I was that person at that, at that time. It's so crazy. I have really great memories of it. And like, I'll show my daughter from time to time. We'll see old videos. She's like, Oh my God, that was you. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when, how long were you working in, in WWE for? 2008 to 2012. It was, I, my first day at FCW was February 1st, 2008. And then I, uh, June 2009 was my debut on ECW. How was it for you in being in the wrestling business? Cause, because once again, you basically just started in the business training yeah. at FCW right away. You weren't doing indies and working your way up the ranks. No. That, were you? No, no. I was the person everybody hated. Like I was the <laughs> one that got found out. Bassman found me, Rick Bassman. I was a friend of his. And he found me, you know, I didn't even watch wrestling. I watched wrestling growing up. Like, you know, it was like the, the Macho Man and Hogan era, like those sort of things. And I was like, I always begged my dad to like do the hotline on Saturday. He's like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> but like <laughs> I grew out of it. And uh, Rick, like it was so weird because we were hanging out with Rick in Southern California. He was just a friend of ours. And these big dudes were like all around us all the time. I'm like, who are these big guys? It was like Sylvester, like Bear, like Sylvester Turkey, Tom Howard, and like, um, God, it was uh, Sean. I can't even remember his last name. But guys like that. I'm like, who are these dudes? Just big dudes. And so yeah. I was like, right place, right time. So everybody hated me. But why Why did you say they hated you? Because I didn't put in the work. I didn't do the indie circuit. I didn't put in my years. I was marketable. That's what Lauren Ines had told me. He's like, you're marketable. And Bucci told me that too. He's like, we think you're marketable. So come train with us. If you want to, we'll give you a contract. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would, no why would you say yes? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember just walking in that first day. Everybody's like, Who's this D bag? You know, <laughs> this instant, instant heat. Now, how 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 tall are you? Six four, bro. I don't remember. I remember you're big. I'm not Seamus. I don't put eight inch lifts in my boots. <laughs> I'm six two. Okay, well, still big. I remember you're a big guy. If I have heels on, I'm six a lot. But I, that's why I don't wear heels. <laughs> but then you also had the dreadlocks and all that stuff. So that would be why yes. they were saying that you're marketable because of the way that you look. 
and the size and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you're not going to tell me you never blew up your weight and height before. Of course. <laughs> it's wrestling. I think I was 6'5", according to Vince, you know? <laughs> See, I believed it. That's why I thought you were 6'5". Yeah. <laughs> so it's on the internet. It must be true. It must be true. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so when when you were training, um, and obviously you mentioned that, that you know, you didn't have a background in wrestling. Right. Did you find it difficult at the start to start learning how to how to work and how to bump and all that sort of stuff? Uh, when you say difficult, like, do you just mean like physically taxing or just the, the whole thing? Like, to be honest, I thought I was pretty tough, but to be honest, the whole thing was the hardest thing I ever did. Mm. It's not easy to like beat the crap out of yourself on purpose, protect the other guy, and then try to figure out everything we have to do to entertain the crowd and change things on the fly. I always tell people, literally the hardest thing I've ever done, but the most rewarding by far. Well, because there's also such a huge psychology behind pro wrestling as well, which is the most important thing, as you know. Yeah. Being able to control a crowd. I mean, I've never controlled the crowd the way you have, mm -hmm. but just in my, you know, my small time there with my, you know, my little mid card matches. Can I call them mid card? Am I allowed to do that? You're allowed to. I mean, was I even there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mid card works. Mid I'm just going to say mid card because yeah. yeah, it sounds prestigious. Not really, but <laughs> it, no, it's important, important part of the show. I mean, like you said, you were there for four years. So obviously you had something yeah. to contribute to the, to the company as well. I remember. I did a lot of battle royals. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good place to put them in the battle royal. Right. You know, what's funny is I, I think you and I might have done a couple together in like house shows. I was at my friend's house yesterday and he actually just got your most recent book. And I was looking through all your matches. I'm like, I wonder if I'm actually in here. But I couldn't find it. I saw a couple battle royals. I'm like, maybe I was in one of those. Them, but I don't remember. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't include battle royals because I didn't count those as matches. We never actually had a match match. But we probably did no. touch in a battle royal here, and there, especially on the, on the house shows like in Lexington, Kentucky on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. It's a big 20-man battle royal. Um, I think you might have tapped me in the nuts or something <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> can I say that on the show? I don't even know if I can say this stuff. God. You can say anything you want. Oh, okay. <laughs> Free of freedom of speech here on Talk is Jericho. Oh, beautiful. I just don't want to like, I don't know if we got a censor stuff or no what. No censor. <laughs> it's just okay, us. Okay, cool. It's just us. So, so when, when you finally did make your debut in ECW, kind of what was the program that, were you, th that you were in? Did you, did you just bring you in or what was kind of the, the build up to it? Yeah. Uh, so literally one day I'm down in FCW in development and they're like, okay, you're going on the road this week. I'm like, okay, cool. So it was like me, Seamus. I think Yoshi Tatsu <laughs> was one of us. It was Drew. I don't think Drew McIntyre was with us. I think he was already doing house shows and stuff, but there were like three or four of us that got brought up simultaneously. We we're just doing dark matches forever. And then one night, Carano pulls us into his office, like the four of us. I don't even remember who the fourth person was, which is, that's, I'm terrible. But he goes, okay, so you're all debuting tonight. We're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, you're on TV. We're like, wait, I've never even had a dark match. He's like, well, here's the ball. Roll with it. Don't effing drop it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> they called it the new superstar initiative. And remember, uh, Taryn Terrell was like the announcer at that time for that stuff. And I got shoved out there in a match with Zack Ryder. I love, I love Matt. He's amazing. We still talk. He's super cool. He was more than willing to help me, which was, you know, it's rare. Usually like so many debuts, you just step all over him. But Matt, Zach was like, he was so cool. I had Noble as my producer, Jamie Noble. And I think we had like eight minutes to start. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is cool. So we planned a, a really cool debut match. You know, I got my stuff in. Clock's ticking. We're getting close to showtime. And then it goes from eight minutes and Noble goes, okay, well, we lost a minute. I'm like, okay, cool. No big deal. And then uh, Zach's like, well, we'll just cut this out. Or we'll, you know, we'll cut the entrance short. And Noble comes back 10 minutes later. He's like, oh, I lost another minute. So now we're at six. Another minute. Now we're at five. <laughs> another minute. 
Chris, we got down in three minutes. Wow. For your debut. <laughs> three minutes with entrances for my debut match. <laughs> <laughs> that was mind boggling to me. And so like I had to do the whole thing where I come out in front of the crowd. I look at the lights. I have no idea. Like I'm a, this, I was shocked. I'm like, oh my God, this, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of lights. Am I going to fall off the stage? I'm going to miss the ramp. Like all that went through my head. But <laughs> We had a good match. It was fun for three minutes. You know, if you can call that a good match. And weren't you kind of like a surfer type of, of a thing? Is that what the gimmick was? God, yeah. They had me as like this surfer guy. Like it was my own idea. I thought it fit. It was really kind of lame. If you want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a California kid, right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised. So did you ever surf? I did. I spent many years uh, when I moved to Southern California. I lived there for six or seven years. I surfed two or three times a day. So it wasn't it wasn't too far off then. You could actually like live the part of being the surfer guy. Oh yeah, that's the whole reason I had the dreadlocks in the first place because it was just part of like the surf community. So I was just doing my thing surfing, and that's how they found me. So continue forward just as we're going through your WWE years. I mean, you have your debut, and did were you in ECW for a long time? Because I remember you being on Raw for a while. I remember you teaming with like Hawkins and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, Hawkins was great. Yeah, I was on ECW. Um, I don't remember when I got taken off. It wasn't too long. <laughs> it didn't take long for them to realize that this isn't working. What happened is they're like, all right. Well, they didn't say anything. They just pulled me off. <laughs> and then Arn comes to me one day, Anderson, and he's like, so uh, Tyler, you know, <laughs> he's like, I forget like they can't see stuff. Arn does a little hand thing because his neck surgery. And he's like, so they want you to be a heel. I'm like, okay, I've never done that. And like never once had I ever had a match as a heel, even on like my year, my long year and a half of training. <laughs> I like I never once had a match as a heel. So they had me work with Arn and Fit and Noble for like eight months trying to figure out who I could be, what I could do and just kind of develop my character. And then they had me start doing dark matches. I was like the dark match guy <laughs> at the time. Like every, every SmackDown, every Raw, it was like I was doing the dark match. And so they put me on loops, on the house show loops. So I started to kind of learn a little bit. I did a lot of matches with Chavo, with Christian. Chavo was such a huge help too. He was amazing. He's a great trainer. Worked Chavo a lot. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot. But that was fun. And then they shut me out on SmackDown one day. It was right before bragging rights. And remember Caval? Remember Loki? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I forgot he was called Caval. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, who? Like, yeah. Loki. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So I don't know. He had some heat at the time, I think. And uh, I think they pulled him off. It was an NXT thing. And they're just like, he's not going to the pay-per-view. And from what I heard, Vince is in this production meeting with everybody. And he's like, oh, what are you guys doing with Tyler Rex? And like the way Arden said it, he's like, the whole like room just got silent. Everybody kind of looks around and they're like, oh. Nothing. <laughs> and Vince goes, oh, well, he's on tonight, you know? And they're like, oh, okay. So it's like, I just got shoved up. I stomped Caval. And then I, next thing I know, I'm in bragging rights. I'm all, okay, well, I guess that's how it happens. So you actually were in the bragging And the bragging rights was when they had, I think it was like Raw versus SmackDown. Yeah. And you had to wear the matching shirts and all. It was five on five. So you actually were on the SmackDown team. I was, yeah. I was uh, Del Rio's team, Alberto Del Rio. So that was really cool to be alongside all those guys. Out of nowhere, just the guys I'd kind of seen and acquaintances, you know, guys like, you know, Mysterio and Jomo and all those guys. I'm like, wow, this is fun. When you kind of got put in that position, like how did you do in bragging rights that night? Obviously, you said thrown into the fire. Did you did you respond? Yeah. You? Oh, I, I think I did fantastic. Arn thought I did great. Fit thought I did great. Noble thought I did great. Everybody I worked with said phenomenal. I actually, it's funny. I've been looking for a good clip of it to kind of like repost because 
I'll, you know, I do a lot of stuff on TikTok and like the before and afters, there's just mind boggling. Like I said, even to me, I'm like, God, that was me at one time. Uh, and I've been looking for those clips because I remember in bragging rights, like I started with Santino. I think I opened the match to be, I think Santino opened with somebody else, eliminated him. And then I got in, did a little song and dance with Santino, eliminated him. And then Jomo and I went for like a minute or two, mm. which was really fun. And then I hit something on Miz at one point too. So uh, everybody just, you know, congratulated me, said great job. And yeah, it all went downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> so wh- wh- why do you feel that? Like what, what happened afterwards? So I had, a, I had a little push. I was kind of riding the wave. And what they had told me, they said, you know, just be quiet. Be this like ominous character. Don't say anything. I just go out there and let the crowd wonder and just beat the crap out of people. And so I did that. I think a lot of it came, though, from me not really knowing who I was at the time. And not like with what's happening with me now, but just not being super confident in myself. I, I thought I was confident, but like an FCW, we've been told to like shut our mouth, don't talk to anybody, you do what the vets say. Like right. it was this whole like I'm like be scared of your job mentality. <laughs> and so I was scared to try stuff. I doubted myself. I had 10 different people telling me what to do. I was actually listening to your podcast with Trent just now before he came on. He kind of said something similar. He's like, you had told him to do something and then somebody else told him to do something. And it's like you're getting pulled in 10 different directions. Right. And you instantly make an enemy. If you don't do something, I didn't have enough experience. If I had been in the Indies, if I had been through this before, like if I were to go back, which I can't, I'm just, my neck's all messed up, my back's messed up. But if I were to go back for any reason, and me being, you know, what I am now and who I am now, it's kind of weird, but <laughs> it would be a totally different story. Like I'm so confident in who I am. Right. You can hand me a mic. I can talk to 10,000 people, no problem. And entertain them for as long as I need to. It's not a problem. Back then, I remember very specifically, it was like, it might have been pre-bragging rights or something. I had never been on Raw. I was on SmackDown. So I didn't know like what happened during the commercial breaks. Team SmackDown and Team Raw were on the apron, on the ground. And they're passing around a mic to like Punk and Edge. And I'm just like, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, dear God, don't give me that mic. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, that is like the nail in the coffin for any wrestler. Like, don't give me that mic. I'm like, yeah. I was petrified. I'm like, I don't even know what my, I don't know what to say. I think that was my downfall. It was like, I just did not know how to embrace that character and nobody was there to help me. I don't blame anybody. I blame myself. Yeah. That was the downfall. Confidence is everything in wrestling for sure. And in many things, many aspects of life, as you know. Right. And if you don't know exactly who you are as a character and as a person, you will get pulled in every direction and don't really, it's just wishy-washy. When you get that confidence, nothing can stop you, but it takes a while to get it. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's why guys that like get fired and come back, I think that's why they're so damn confident because they like, I got nothing to lose at this point. Right. They kind of get that. I think that's why Hawkins and I did so good in NXT because we knew we were going to get fired. We knew it was coming. That's where wrestlers went to die. Like back then, (laughs) it wasn't even a TV show. I was like, and this is back when, you know, everybody hated the internet still. Mm -hmm. It's like, it was an internet show. I'm like, well, we're done. So what do we got? They're either going to fire us this week or next week. So we might as well pick up the mic. We might as well take time. We might as well be damn good at it. So I think that's when we started accelerating a little bit. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
So you kind of went, not back, but obviously you spent some time in NXT, which you just mentioned. Is that kind of where it ended for you at that point in time? Did you get fired? No. Oh, no. I was like one of very few people who actually, I quit on purpose. I hmm. I say I retired, but like I just walked in and threw the towel in. We were getting a push. Like Hunter and Vince had this stripper gimmick for Hawkins and I. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was because Magic Mike had just come out and like Nash was in it and everything, you know, like everybody, like they got a hard on for that stuff. And so <laughs> Vince loved it. Like he, him and Kevin were dying over it. Hunter came and told us because Hawkins had even said, he's like, look, I know where this is going. Like, I don't want to, and I don't remember who he said, but somebody else had done a gimmick like this before. And he's like, I don't want to end up like these guys. And Hunter goes, look, it doesn't matter how you get over. He's like, once you're over, then we evolve from there. But let's just get you over with the crowd. So Hawkins and I secretly, like, we went and we took dance lessons. <laughs> <laughs> the company, like, paid for dance. Hawkins had, he didn't, he didn't have a bone in his body that knew how to dance. And so it was just like, he was so worried. So he's in Queens taking dance lessons. I'm in San Francisco area taking stupid stripper dance lessons. <laughs> but we did our stripper debut. Right before we go out, Hunter goes, don't worry about what the guys are going to say. The guys are going to effing hate you but make eye contact with the women. They're going to love you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I remember just seeing like the girls like freaking out and the guys just like <laughs> stink eyeing us, you know, like hating every moment of it. And we had two, we had two local guys, we had two jobbers and we, we squashed them real quick and everybody was happy. But in between then and our next match was SummerSlam. And my daughter was only eight months old. My wife came out to be at SummerSlam and what I realized is that I didn't have a second to breathe. My daughter was crying every time I left. Like, I couldn't be a parent and be a wrestler simultaneously. And that was the weekend I realized it. And it just hit me. Uh, she ended up going home early from SummerSlam hmm. with Mia, my daughter. My parents were visiting my brother in SoCal just by chance. And we're passing through. And I'm like, you should hop and get with my parents and I'll drive you home. Like, there's no need for you to be here. Hmm. And so I walked into Raw the next day. And I just told Jane Gettys, I was like... I'm done. And she looks at me like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm done. I got to go be a parent. At the time, I was like, I got to go be a dad. Mm -hmm. She's like, is this about money? And she's like, we can pay you more. And I'm like, wait, what? If I, <laughs> I, if I had known, I just had to threaten to quit to get more money, I would have done this years ago. <laughs> but she goes, give me a number. I'm like, honey, there is I, the number in my head that I'm thinking that would actually make missing my kid's life to make it worth it, I'm sure you won't put out. She's like, try me. I'm like, put a couple zeros next to what you're doing. She's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm yeah. like, okay, well, then I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, I left that. Hunter was cool. He's like, tell, tell Rex you can go home. Like, no problem. I'll call him later. It's totally cool. Don't worry about it. So I got in the car and drove home. Do you, have you gone back at all ever, uh, especially now as Gabby? My very, you mean back in the ring or back to? In the yeah, ring? no, back back to the show. Go to see the show. Go back to the stage. The first time I was back was a couple of weeks ago. I was at MSG. The New York Times did an article on me. The journalist Jacob he said, "Hey, when was the last time you were in an arena?" I'm like over a decade ago. And he goes, "You want to do the story there?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." Mm. So that was my. First time in an arena at M packed MSG, 15,000 people. And we, we didn't quite have floor seats. We had like a couple back off the floor. And so, yeah, that's, that was, it was so crazy to be back, Chris. Like, I didn't think I missed it until I saw like everything happening. I saw like everybody I was in development with, like Ooses and all them. I was like, oh my God, those are my boys up there. Like, and they're killing it now. It was amazing. 
did you get a chance to go backstage and say hi to everybody and that sort of a thing? No, I didn't. So that that's something that the Times covered too. And I didn't think much of it because like I was talking to John Cohn. Remember, he's like, he's now head of talent relations. Yeah. But he was, he was just a ref back like when we were. He was like, a referee who owned a donut shop. Donut boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, last time I talked to you, you were getting us donuts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I texted him. And I like I texted him weeks and weeks before saying, Hey, the Times is doing an article. Can we come? Can we hang out? Can we go backstage? And Kevin was like, I don't think that's a problem. He's like, Let me see what I can do. I'm like, okay, cool. And so it's getting down to the wire. And the journalist is kind of like freaking out. It's a, it's two days before. Oh no, wait. It was like the day before, I think. It was literally the day before. And I literally just got off. I was texting Jacob, the the journalist. And I'm like, he's freaking out. I'm like, look. This is the way WW works. I've That's never right, yeah. not got tickets. Every time I've asked for friends, it's literally the 11th hour. I'm like, don't stress. They, they love me. Like I'm friends with everybody. They will come through. And as soon as I send that text, like 30 seconds later, Cone texts me and say, Hey, Rex, I didn't realize this, but we're totally sold out. There isn't a ticket left and I can't get you backstage because it's MSG. And it's like, it's crowded back in MSG. And that's, I remember that, like no family, no friends in MSG. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay that sucks. And so I text Jacob. Jacob's like, no effing way. I go, yeah. He jumps on Ticketmaster, buys two tickets instantaneously. And I'm like, hmm. well, that's weird. I'm like, well, maybe Cone just had a you know, bad info. So we go, didn't get to go backstage. I had to go in with like Gen Pop, you know, <laughs> which is, it showed me how, how little, um, or how, what do I want to say? Like, I've been out of the scene for so long that, like, I just kind of blended right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do kind of well, look. Maybe it was that I, I just don't have my dreads. You do kind of look different. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know, maybe. But it, the show was great. But then uh, I talked to Cone a couple, it was like a week later. I was just like, hey, thanks so much. Appreciated that. And we we caught, talked a little bit. I said, when you come to Texas, let me know. I'd love to come see you guys and hang out. He's like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, just big talk. I'm like, okay, cool. And so then they're in Houston two weeks ago, something like that. It was just happened. And I text him like, hey, I'm three hours away. I'd love to come see you guys, hang out and just say hi. And he's like, let me see what I can do. Shouldn't be a problem. And then down to the wire a couple of days before, hey, I ran it up by upper management and uh, I can get you tickets, but you can't come backstage. Why? When, when have I, like, when have you ever turned down a, an alumni that left on good terms to come backstage? And so, you know, then I put it, I kind of put it together. I'm like, okay. I Like, I don't have all the info, so I don't want to assume anything, but the Times kind of put it out there. I'm like, maybe they're just not ready to have a superstar that transitioned hmm. backstage. It's a hot topic, you know? I don't know. Maybe they're trying to keep that out. And I'm, I'm like, okay, well, Jacob, run your article, say what you want to say, because I didn't think that's what it was, but... Now I kind of do think that's what it was. Well, let me say this. Next time AEW's in Texas, come to our show. We'll we'll have you backstage, front row. Thank you. That's yeah. Oh, thank you, Chris. I will be there. (laughs) Cedar Park. (laughs) That's literally 10 minutes from me. I I live in Leander, so I will definitely take you up with an offer. I'd love to. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
It's very interesting because we have Nyla Rose with us who's also transitioned yeah. and she does a great job. She's awesome. One of my favorite people in AW. And, you know, she's done a really cool thing about just being herself. Right. Big question now. How did you start becoming yourself, the real Gabby Tuft from these Tyler Rex years? And that's a pretty open question, big question. But did you always have these feelings through your whole life? So I didn't think I did. I had to really think back to my childhood. Mm -hmm. And when it started happening, like I was about 36 when it started happening. So I'd already left WWE. I had to start thinking back to my childhood. And it wasn't really, you know, until after I started my transition that I kind of put the puzzle pieces together. But I used to get dressed up in my mom's clothes when I was like, nobody was home. I played with girls toys. I had Care Bears. I had Cabbage Patch Kids. I loved Barbies. I loved My Little Ponies. I always got along better with girls and guys. You know, I kind of realized, I think it was society that really beat it into, you know, remember like as kids, like we're close in age. I think you're a couple of years older than me. I was born in 78. So like back then, I watched kids get the crap kicked out of them for acting feminine. Mm -hmm. In elementary school, junior high, high school, like we play games like smear the queer and like, you know, we use the F for it all the time. Like it was just, it was a derogatory term. And you, you learn really quickly. If you're a guy and you act feminine, you get the crap kicked out of you or, and you, or you don't have any friends. Mm -hmm. And so I buried it and it went away. But like 36, like I just started gravitating towards it. It was so weird. I just, I remember like, it started, and this is kind of like a sensitive topic because people will say like, oh, it's a fetish. It's all sexual, but it's not. It started in the bedroom because I think what I, and what I told the times that they weren't really comfortable with printing because it's such a, like a hot topic, I guess, controversial is that I started letting it out in the bedroom first. One, I had to be, I'd drink like a handle of Johnny Walker to like build up the courage to say anything. And then it's like, I could always pawn it off as like, oh, it's just a bedroom. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I was like, you know, it's like guys do weird stuff all the time in the bedroom, right? It's like, I think it was like my defense wall. But when it, when it stopped being like about sex and it was just about me living in the moment and like putting on female clothing and being able to be me. And just sitting around talking to my wife and there was like zero like sex involved whatsoever. That's when I'm like, oh, this is something else. And that's when I kind of started chasing the puzzle pieces backwards. Yeah, it's interesting because one thing I mean, I've had Nylon before too talking about this. And I, I know all that I know just from her, like coming at it as a complete layman, not really knowing anything about about how how it all works. Like you said, it's not a sexual thing. This is, goes much deeper than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I get all this stuff like people, you know, there's always gonna be trolls on the internet, especially like when you're in the public eye. Mm -hmm. And I always get that group. It's like they call it like autogynophilia. And it basically, it's like a man who gets sexually aroused by pretending to be a woman or acting like a woman or putting on female clothing, I think is the definition of it. And that's what like, they're pawning it off on. I'm like, well, it's funny, because like, to be honest, I really don't have much of a sex drive at all. It's, so it's like, if me existing is like, sexual, well, then no, because like I just I don't really have much of a sex drive. It really doesn't fit the shoe. It's it has very little to do with sex and everything about how I feel on the inside and making the outside match the inside. What were you doing at the time when you left uh, WWE? What was your job? <laughs> I went into business with my wife's brother, mm -hmm. and I started a digital marketing agency. I knew nothing about like websites or search engine off. I knew nothing. I had to learn from scratch, and I hated it chris i hated it like i had to put on a suit and tie and here's this like big dude with dreadlocks this big bodybuilder like 
in all these chamber of commerce meetings. And I'm just like, God, I hated it. And what I started doing was like this side project, just putting out high value information on bodybuilding. Cause I loved, you know me, I was always like a big guy when I was a guy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I became massive. Like I got on every steroid on the planet when I laughed <laughs> and I was 280 pounds. Six two, and I hovered at like six to eight percent body fat. Like that's crazy. Consistently, I lived at that body fat percentage, but I just started like putting this out there. And then in 2012, my brother—it was like literally—I I quit in um, August 2012 was my last match. And then in December that year, the day after Christmas, my brother committed suicide. Mm. And I missed an opportunity to go help him. And I, I blamed myself tremendously. And I, I swore I'd never miss a chance to help someone. And I didn't know how to help anybody. I didn't know what I could do. I knew I was good at, at fitness and nutrition. So I wrote a little book. I wrote a small ebook. That ebook became a program, which had became, it had videos with it, which expanded. And I started putting out motivational videos on the internet on like back when Facebook was a thing. And don't tell me you still use Facebook. I'll cry. (laughs) (laughs) You can't. I know you're old enough to, but you can't. (laughs) But that, I mean, we just lost Facebook as a sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Facebook. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Bark. (laughs) But it got to be huge. Like back then, I went from making like $6,000 a year selling some like hoodies and some apparel. It skyrocketed. Like one of my videos went viral and I went from just being this like small motivational guy to this massive force in fitness. I mean, we got like 26 million views in a couple of months on our videos. Wow. And back then, to get 26 million views back in 2015, 16, was like unheard of. Yeah. So I went from like, that to like building a, a seven-figure company that was internationally known for fitness and nutrition. And so we focused on changing lives. It's amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Like it was a great ride. I made a lot of money and I lost a lot of money in the process. <laughs> it went up and it went down and I had to start all over. So, you know, you bump into money the first time, you usually go spend it. But so when you're doing this then, and you mentioned that now you're starting to think more about the real you, if that's probably the best way to put it, I would say. Sure. Yeah. How do you start taking steps? Like, obviously you mentioned that you have a daughter, you're married. Are you talking with your wife about this at the time? And then how do you start going to the next level of becoming Gabby? It was crazy. Like I got so depressed right before I started my transition because you know, you look at who I was. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can that ever become something feminine? It's unheard of. And so I knew that was the direction I wanted to go, but I became so damn depressed. Like never once considered suicide. Like I know what my brother did. It did like my family was torn yeah. and I'm like, that'll never happen. But being where I was. I literally, I went through the motions of my head. Like I've, I've never, I felt the life leaving me. It was insane. Like I could literally feel the life force leaving my body. And I just wanted to be as low to the ground as possible. There were days I would just lay on the ground. I was so depressed and I just wanted it to be over. And Priscilla saw this, like we had had a big blowout fight one night. So she spent the night somewhere else at a friend's house and she came back and she's like, do you want to talk? I'm like, okay. And so we sat on the front patio and we had a conversation and she's like, I need to say the things I need to say. And so she said everything. Previously, like Gabe, like Rex, would have been like, no, you're wrong. You know, like I was never wrong. As a guy, we're, you know, guys are never wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I looked at her and I just go, yeah, you're right. And I'm sorry. And she looked at me, she's like, what? You know, that look of shock on the face. And she mm-hmm. goes, Is there something you need to tell me? 
And it it took me like five minutes to cough it up. But she goes, you're safe, hon. Like, you can tell me anything. And I, I told her, I said, if I can't live my life as a woman, I don't want to continue living. Mm-hmm. And she looks at me and she goes, honey, I know. And she goes, I love you. We're going to figure this out. That was my freedom right there. Just to know that, like, she knew what was going on without me even telling her. I mean, it's obvious that I was getting dressed up, like, every night. At that point, I went and made my hormone appointment. I went and saw a doctor that specialized in transitioning and had a conversation. And I was on hormones a month later. And that was that's kind of how you started. So it always starts with hormones, or it should, at least. So, I mean, that that's a, amazing on her part to accept you transitioning because now she's married to a woman. Right. I'm sure that causes a whole lot of questions in society. You mentioned society has the rules and the, the things that you're not supposed to do or whatever it may be. So that, that takes a big commitment on her part as well. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's a saint for what she did. We're, I mean, we're not together now. We're in the middle of a divorce, but we're still best friends. Like right. we thought it would be okay. How do I explain it? Like she likes men. And like, yeah. And now, you know, I gravitate that way now too. And so it's like, I understand from a different perspective, like what she's seeking and that like masculinity that she needs. And then to see her big, strong 280 pound man with dreadlocks down to his butt suddenly becoming more feminine and having nails and like the sexual attraction is gone. Yeah. It's strange. You know, you could, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, no, it's normal. It's like, no, it's effing strange. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it's weird for someone who's never been through that. And so I don't blame her. Our marriage was kind of on the rocks anyway. And I don't think this was the nail in the coffin. It just kind of brought it to a close is what it really did. And not on purpose. But yeah, she's a damn saint for staying with me as long as she did. And then how about for your daughter? How do you explain that to her so she feels comfortable with it? My daughter has been one of my biggest supporters since day one. It's so interesting. I went to her one night after I'd talked to my parents, I talked to some neighbors, and I was getting like a really warm reception to it. This is back when I'd still had been presenting female after Mia had gone to sleep at night. And so it was like this quick, like two or three hours when I could do it. And then I had to go take everything off, wipe the mascara off my face and like go be Gabe in the daytime. And I'm like, what would my daughter think? So I go upstairs. Uh, We were all kind of hanging on the patio. We're having some drinks. I went inside to kind of refill some stuff and I hear her say, dad. And so I went upstairs and she goes, uh, what's going on? I'm like, oh, you know, neighbors are over. We're just having a good time outside. She goes, oh, okay. And she used to play this little, uh, she had this app. It was called Gotcha Life. And it was where kids can make little characters of their own, like little stock characters. But there was a button that you could tap when you're done. And it was called a gender bend. And it would make your character, if you had a guy character, it would make it a girl. If you had a girl character, it would make it a guy. And so I said, hey, honey, I got something I have to tell you. And she goes, what's that? I said, so, you know, you, you play this little game and it's got a gender bend in it, right? She goes, yeah. I said, well, dad's kind of going through a, a gender bend of his own. And she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you might see me wearing some girl clothes and I might paint my nails and I might have makeup on. And she goes, oh, I said, but don't worry, I'm not going to go outside. She goes, why? And I said, well, I think people might make fun of me. And she leans over her little bed. She gives me a huge hug. She goes, oh, dad, I will never make fun of you. And so like, and so I start crying. I'm like, okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she, you know, she had some questions and she asked Priscilla privately about things. But it's the second she found out, like, I wasn't going anywhere and our relationship wasn't changing. I was still dad to her. She still calls me dad. Like, she asked me, she's like, what do I call you? I'm like, whatever you want. She's like, can I call you dad? I said, yeah, no problem. Once you knew I wasn't going anywhere, like, 
the stability came back. And so uh, we have a great relationship. The kids are so much far more accepting of anything kids are. Yeah, they're not jaded, you know? <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So when you mentioned, like you said, that you had you went to a doctor for the hormone, do they have to make sure, like, I know, is there any type of mental... Uh, exam that you have to take to make sure that you're in your right mind before you start down this road and that sort of a thing? You would think. Oh, okay. But no. <laughs> okay. Just go for it. I went to the clinic because I'm just like, how do I, like, I knew what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Of course, I think every crazy person says this, like, I don't think I'm crazy, you know? <laughs> but I'm like, I know what I want and this is life or death. And so I, I looked at it like hormones are reversible, you know, to a certain point. So I'm like, oh, if something doesn't work right, then whatever. But in my head, I knew I was never going back. I had accepted what I was. I knew this is how I wanted to spend the rest of my life. And I was not going back, no matter how many challenges I was facing. So no, there was no therapist. There was no nothing. I just went in and the provider I saw, they're just like, so I told them what's going on. I'm like, and you want to do hormones? I'm like, yep. I'm like, All right, here you go. Hmm. So I was like, that's interesting. That was really easy. And I didn't think twice about it because I'm like, I'm an adult. I make my own decisions. But interesting, right? Well, yeah, very much so. Very much so. But what you also mentioned too, that you're 280 pounds. Are you starting to try and like lean out a bit too? Or, or when did that become part of the process? Because you, you know, you don't want to be like this <laughs> giant bodybuilder. No, I want to like, I'll know I'll never be small. I'm six two. I got a male bone structure. But at my lightest, I've, I've gone through a lot. I've lost 115 pounds Jeez. of muscle over the, wow. the time period. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's not easy. And people say, you know, estrogen causes muscle loss. It doesn't. It's phenomenal at maintaining muscle. Like most of the best steroids, they're estrogenic in nature. So it's like there were no studies done on losing muscle mass. I had to go study atrophy and look at all the study of like, you know, these old people that were bedridden and figure out how to do it. And it was like, three years of losing muscle and I'm still not done hmm. at my lightest. I got down to 192, 191 and some change, but I'm going the other way now. I'm just trying to put on some body fat to do a fat transfer so I could have like some hips. Cause I'm so old in my transition, this old bat, like my hips will never spread the way like a, a, somebody that's younger will. And the fat won't transfer to my hips the way like somebody younger will. So it takes surgery. It takes a fat transfer. So now I'm, I'm up a little bit. I'm a little, uh, a little fluffy right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny though, because I remember like your body shape, like you said, total V, like you had the great bodybuilder genetics, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing. But like when you're trying to lose that, like you mentioned, you're still going to have your V, slim legs, that sort of a thing. So you're trying to kind of put some clay in some different areas then, right? That's literally it. Yeah. And that's what I'm the most dysphoric about. It's like my shoulders, my back, my traps, my neck, like I look at that daily and I'm like, hmm. when will that go away? You know? And then it's like the bone structure, like the guys have a, a narrower pelvis than girls. And so you don't have that hourglass shape naturally. I'm kind of like, naturally I'm more like a box. So it's <laughs> like, it kind of sucks, you know, but I know there's, there's a way to fix it. And it's just a matter of 
how much body fat can I pack on right now? Is, so the, is there some some dysmorphia then, some body dysmorphia that you, that you feel, that you face? Oh, God, yes. I like... I wear shapewear everywhere I go. Like I put, I don't have like a ton. It's not like this massive, like fake butt. Like I don't have anything on my butt. I wear a little bit of padding in my hips just to kind of like cover the, we call them hip dips. Like where if like you look at a guy's like butt, like they've got like the, the little circle dim, dimples in it. I don't have a lot of that anymore, but it's enough to where I'm like, I don't feel comfortable. And I'm incredibly observant. And what I've noticed is like when I wear shapewear, I get treated so differently. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of these, um, I call them yellow flags. There's a lot of subconscious yellow flags that go off in somebody's mind. When you you look at somebody like me, and it's like, I watch people, not so much anymore, but when I was early transitioning, and it was like, something's up here. It was like, they look at me, they look at my crotch, they look at my breast, and they look at my face. And if I'm smiling, they'd smile back. But you can tell they're like, they're analyzing what's going on because the proportions were wrong for what a natural born female would have. And it's like, we don't even realize we're doing it. And so naturally, I'm discreet. It's a much warmer greeting in public. And that's amazing, too. Like the, just all of these different stages of your transition, not just from physical, but from mental. Like once again, we talked earlier about not having the confidence in the wrestling ring. Right. You got to have nothing but confidence to take this trip, right? You got to be a thousand percent committed to this. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I was petrified in the beginning the first time I went out in public, like Austin's known for having like a great gay district, you know, like LGBTQ friendly. There's like, it's, I think it's fifth street. I, don't, I haven't been out there for so long, but there's like a whole block where it's just all the gay bars, like all like the LGBTQ communities out there. And Priscilla goes, do you want to go, you want to go to gay bar? I'm like, I don't know. I want, like I was, I had this need to socially integrate early on. Like I wanted to just like, I can't really articulate it very well, but there is just a desire and a need to like be who you are and integrate. And I think it's because like there's, I subscribe to the six human needs. Like Jim Rohn created them and Tony Robbins has like elaborated on them since, but one of them is human connection. It's love and the human connection. And I really believe that like we need human connection. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just deeply desiring human connection at that time, but we drove out. I remember I had like this purple, like, cami top on like spaghetti straight <laughs> like i had no breasts at the time i saw these giant pack muscles i had this <laughs> 15 amazon wig on you know <laughs> i'm like five inch heels so here i am like six seven in heels and i just literally looked like a cross dresser mm -hmm. it's like but i was so scared i could not get out i was i had this big f-150 truck at the time i could not get out of the truck i was like shaking and sweating and like i was like almost crying and Bristol's like, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And, you know, we walked out. I was like shaking and just nervous the whole time. It was back like during the pandemic. So I had a mask on. So in my head, I have this thing called our bubble of disillusionment where I'm like, well, maybe if they don't see my face and my jawline, they won't think I'm a man. <laughs> but here I am like still 240 pounds of like, <laughs> yeah. like all masculine muscle. I'm like, they won't know, right? <laughs> I look back and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, there was definitely some like... I guess you call it delusionment at that point um, as to like what society views you as. But we got to the gay bar. Priscilla goes, hey, this is my wife. It's her first time in public. Door guys were super cool. Like, come on in, sweetheart. And like, they sat me down. They were so kind to me. Like, they made it. It was probably one of the best nights of my life where I'm like, oh, 
that's what it's supposed to be like. And then slowly I started to integrate. Like I remember having to go to the store. I told Michelle, like, I got to go by myself. I got to try this. But same thing. I like sat, freaked out forever. But eventually what you learn is you learn to accept what you are. And so for me, like, I know I wasn't born a woman. I know, like, even still, I got big hands, big feet. That'll never change. Like, I got the bone structure of a guy. I get it. And I know somebody's going to clock. We call it being clocked. And I'm sure Nyla's probably used that term before where it's like they recognize that, you know, you're a trans woman. And we call it being clocked. I'm like, I know I can be clocked. It doesn't bother me anymore because I know what I am and I've accepted it and I'm fine with it. But I also learned to love who I am on the inside. That was the journey. I, I accepted what I was first, but learning to love who I was and just not give a shit about what anybody else thought, that was the key. When I stopped caring what other people thought about me, the, the world opened up to me. I mean, it's not even the same thing, but but even for me, it's, I'm the same way. Like Chris Jericho, stuff that I wear on screen, stuff that I wear or, or attitudes or whatever, I don't care what people think. Right. Obviously, yours is, is a completely different version of this, but when you don't care, I was just going to say, I bet you that so many people don't even notice that you're a transition woman. But when you first go out, you're thinking everybody's noticing. Oh yeah. Everybody's looking. And then you realize after a while, nobody really gives a shit. Maybe a couple of people notice. Like, you know what I mean? Is that kind of part of your mindset too now? Yeah. Now it's different. I mean, I've had two breast augmentations. I've had a hair transplant. I mean, my, obviously like I have extensions in my hair, but so does everyone. Looks awesome. Yeah. Like, thank you. Yeah. My natural hair is like down to hair, but I've got extensions. I've had full facial surgery, two nose jobs. Like, mm-hmm. I have lip implants. Like, you name it, I've had it done. Like, I don't have an Adam's apple anymore. I've had three trachea shapes. I have vocal surgery, which wow. kind of worked. I need to go have another one. But having said, if you don't know who I am, it's crazy. Like with TikTok, my, my life has exploded. Like I'm now the fitness and nutrition girl that helps like biological women. Like that's what I'm known for on TikTok. I can't walk down. I have more popularity now as far as being recognized than i ever did in wwe like i can't walk i was in starbucks this morning mm-hmm. like i know all the girls at starbucks were talking two girls looking through the drive-thru window like oh my god i watch you on tiktok <laughs> like, yeah it's like that but it's like people that don't know my story they don't know right away like i've had guys that just i had no idea they'll tell like people that i hang out with like wait she's she's trans mm. I had no idea. I thought she was just kind of like into lifting weights. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that, that's helpful. So, but I think, you know, if you know my story and then you start looking and it's like, oh, okay, I can see it now, you know, but it just depends who you are and what you're looking for, I think. But yeah, it's so much easier now to just walk out because one, like I said, just like you, I don't care. I really don't care. And then two, it's like, you know, I don't go around waving a trans flag. Right. Not that I'm not proud of what I am. I just, I don't feel a need to go like wear like a big pride shirt or everything in the, you know, the trans colors. <laughs> right. Of course. Let me ask you this question. Something you said very interesting. I can see why the facial surgery would come in maybe for the, the jawline yeah. or whatever maybe. But you mentioned your Adam's apple, yeah, which is the, one of the signs, right? Yeah, that that's you don't the have first this. thing you look for. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how are they able to, to get rid of an Adam's apple? So, well, it took three trachea shaves to do it. So yeah, I have actually two scars. I have an incision right here on my trachea. And that, so like when I did my first facial surgery in May, 2022, the doctor Raphael went in and he basically goes in with the scalpel, he cuts your throat open and then he shaves the cartilage off. So tra- um, wow. tracheal cartilage, it surrounds the thyroid. But when testosterone enters the system as males enter puberty, it starts to develop more cartilage in that area. And so he went and shaved it off, did the best he could. Uh, when I went back, God, I had a facelift too. Mm-hmm. I lost so much freaking weight, Chris. 
I just had like mounds of loose skin, like in my jaw. It was, I felt horrible about myself. Like I'm, I'm like, I gotta have a facelift. And it wasn't just something that was like, oh, you just kind of notice it. It was noticeable. Right. You I was tell. like, this is bad. And so I went back in December of last year, gave me a full facelift, redid my nose again. And then he did a second trachea shave and we're get, we got closer. And then when I had my voice done in May of this year, uh, the doctor that did it was really good at tracheal shaves and he just finished it off. And so I'm like, there we go. Okay. Hold on a second. When you had your voice done, mm-hmm. what does that mean? So <laughs> there's development in the vocal cords that happens when testosterone enters the system, thickening them up and it changes like where the larynx sits. I've, I've also done a ton of voice training too. So early on, I would like, you have to lift your larynx up higher as a singer you understand like where the larynx sits depends on like your frequencies, right? Well, and just, you know, I, I bruised my larynx last August where I couldn't sing for a while. So I got really into the whole biological descriptions of the larynx. So I, I know what you're talking about. Okay. So then you're very familiar with it. Yeah. So yeah. the doctor I saw in Beverly Hills, there's there's two types of vocal surgery. And the, the one I did is his proprietary method. Nobody else in the world does it. And so he put an incision. He goes through the front of my um, my throat. And I don't know exactly what he does because it's proprietary. And even if I did know, he's asked me not to talk about it. But he has some method where it basically, I think it tightens the vocal cords mm-hmm. somehow. And it gives you a bump. But when I saw him, he said, look, because you've had two previous tracheal shaves, you have a lot of scar tissue. And he's like, I can't guarantee what you're going to sound like. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And the reason I did it is because I go live on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram twice a day, two hours a day. Wow. That's how I run my business. It's dependent on me being able to talk. And then I send video messages and voice messages to my fitness and nutrition clients every day. I probably talk for eight hours a day <laughs> and I needed to be able to talk right away. So I'm like, okay, let's try it. Like I know I got a 50-50 chance going in. So I got a little bump, but you can still kind of hear like a little, like I sound kind of sultry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I say to make myself feel better. (laughs) (laughs) It's very sultry. (laughs) Kathleen Turner. (laughs) But there is another method. It's called the Korean method where they go in through your mouth. Then they splice the vocal cords or they they use a laser to like cut them. And then they re-splice them and suture them together with permanent sutures. And that is the end all. But you can't talk for a month. And then when you can talk, it's really weak Mm -hmm. and it takes a couple months for it to come back. So maybe next year. When I'm a little more like settled with my business and I don't need to talk for so much during the day, I can take a month off and go do that. So basically what the overall end game is to give you a a more of a feminine voice. Yes, exactly. Take the timbre and the bass out of the voice and just like bring it up in pitch uh, and then cut off like the lower frequencies. It's incredible. Very, very informative. I appreciate you telling me about that. I had no idea. Of course. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. As we start to wind down, you're talking about your business, kind of what you're doing now with this TikTok brand. Uh, Kind of explain what you're doing with it and what's the goal, because it sounds like you're getting a lot of uh, success from the TikTok, which is huge nowadays. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it was luck of the draw. Like one night I went to bed and uh, <laughs> like I posted a video. I was getting like a couple thousand views and I woke up the next morning and my, I was locked out of my account. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> and then I had to go through some verification stuff and they let me back in. I had like over a million views on one of my videos. I'm like, what the heck? Oh, they thought it was spam. And so after that, like my stuff just took off. I've got no real explanation for it. Maybe I'm just really good at content. I don't know. <laughs> that being said, uh, I last year, you know, Body Spartan took a crap. My first company that I started for fitness because, like, alpha males, they don't want their their hero transitioning, and I get it. Like, they don't want to follow a female. And so, summer last year, all my accounts went red. I was living off residuals, and I just one day my debit card didn't work. I'm like, oh crap. So that was the moment I could no longer hide. I could no longer wait for somebody to come save. I was always waiting for some guy to come save me, you know? Mm -hmm. But what ended up happening is I'm like, no matter where I'm at with my transition, it's time for me to get real. Right. I got a daughter to think about. I have no way to pay my mortgage and I need to get real right now. So I put it out there on social media. I said, for the first time in six years, I'm going to open up my personal training books online and I'm going to help whoever wants help. And I got two clients in the first week. And in the second week, it was like five. And by the end of the month, I was paying my mortgage. That's great. But the interesting part, they were all biological women that wanted help. Hmm. I do help some trans women, trans men, and non-binary people in the process now. But 99% of my clients, they are biological women. Hmm. And it's been like 13 years of coaching people and like doing this. I've coached over 1,500 people to success. And so now as the business expands, I have a whole team that I work with. I've hired coaches like for very specific reasons like with their expertise to help me out. The changes we're making in women's lives is incredible. Like I always say anybody can hand you a fitness and nutrition program. Like I'm sure you've done some. You've bought, probably bought some stuff online, you know. Mm -hmm. But I always ask the I ask the women, I'm like, "Well, why do we start and then stop? And why do we get to our goal weight and then rebound? Like why does life, you know, always get in the way?" And what I've learned over the years, it has so much more to do with behavioral patterns that we've been in for decades. And we like to be in cycles. And we don't even see the patterns we're in. And so what I do is I use neuroscience and I use psychology to help these women break those cycles permanently. And we start building these brand new neural pathways in their brain for success, for everything they do, for the daily disciplines, the fitness and nutrition, for everything that happens in the rest of their life. And so they start seeing this long lasting, sustainable change. And it's been humbling and an honor to be invited into these women's lives that are biological. They got families. They got their kids running around the background. Their husbands are like, yep. we voice text video message all the time, like them and my team. And their husbands will come wave, say hi, you know, in the videos and stuff. They'll show their kids. I'm like, this is really an honor. Just like knowing what I am. Yeah. And for them to feel so comfortable and like allow me to help them change their lives. What is your, uh, if you had to label yourself, what is your sexual orientation? I'm bi. I swing both. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Bi seems to be kind of where where you might be at yeah yeah this this whole conversation is so great i just was realizing when you were talking i was like oh i didn't even think of you as tyler rex anymore like <laughs> really? honestly i was like you were talking to gabby here and i was like oh wait a second it's, it, oh, it's, it's i'm just saying it's it, like in this day and age who cares you are being you and i think it's amazing and i think you do have all these biological women I would take a class from you or a training class from uh, you because you still know what you're thanks. talking about. Because at one point in your life, you were 280 pounds of solid muscle. So you know your shit, no matter what Thank you. gender you are, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it too. Because I, like I said, I still do get some male clients like, hey, look, I know 
what you used to be. I want your help. Like, you know your stuff. I'm like, okay, happy to help you. And then the girls, they see me like go through the process of like losing the muscle, getting on hormones. I didn't, I didn't even tell you, I gained like 40 pounds of body fat when I started my transition. And then I had to learn to deal with hormones. Oh, like, gosh, okay, yeah. now I've got a buttload of estrogen in my system. <laughs> the weight does not come off. Like, it is not like testosterone. <laughs> I'm like, this sucks, dude. <laughs> like, it is not easy. So I had to go study up and research and all that. And I had to experiment on myself for like two and a half years and like to figure it out to get it dialed in. So I think women have a lot of, um, they know I have a lot of empathy for their situation because I've been through it. Well, I wasn't born a woman. I don't have a uterus. I don't even pretend to know what that's like, mm -hmm. but I can relate to the hormone struggles and the struggles of being in like cycles, the struggles of like going scarce and then binging and hoping that solves the problem. Like I get that. I really do. Last few things. Do you, do you still keep in touch with anybody that you used to work with in, in, in WWE? Yeah, it's not like consistent, you know, stuff. Just every now and then, like the randoms, like whatever, like Fandango, like Johnny Curtis, like him and I still chat. We FaceTime every now and then. I talk to Hawkins. I talk to Ryder. Uh, Brian Cage and I talk That's every cool. now and then. Lance Hoyt, or Lance Archer. That's kind of the bulk of it. I talked to Cody not too long ago. It's great though, because you, you came from the right business that would accept everything about you. It's like, we're all a bunch of gypsies, tramps and thieves anyway. So like, why not? Right? Like go for it, be yourself and, yeah. and, and kill it, which you are. Right. Yeah. Never once met any opposition from anybody like you, like TJ Natty, like they were the first to like text me, like, we love you. So proud of you. You know, just like, that's great. Everybody's been so cool. Last question for you. What was your favorite match that you ever had back in the old days? I think the one I always go to, it was so short and it was such like, um, you know, you think of favorite match, you think of like, oh, it's like a big long match where the crowd was going nuts. Like for me, it wasn't like I grew up watching Taker as a kid. I remember as a child being petrified of him when he took his hat off and he rolled his eyes back in the back of his head. And I'm a kid. I'm like not even 10 years old being petrified of this guy. You know, I've been in the ring with Kane. I've been in the ring with pretty much everybody. I could take an RKO some or actually you were the only other person I hadn't been in the ring with. It was Taker and you. <laughs> I mean, but again, I think you and I had like we had goofed around in battle royals. We had some, yeah, I'm sure some interaction somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Taker was like this ominous, like looming character who I talked to every now and then. I didn't know whether to call him Mark or Take or like what do I call this? Like he's so scary. Uh, Raw one thousand. Kane and Taker come to us. It was like Hawkins and I were hanging out. They grabbed me, Jinder, Unico, McIntyre. And they're like, look, we're doing this thing. They pulled us in the TVL and they said, we're doing this thing tonight. And we don't trust anybody else but you guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Either you're lying and you just want to job somebody out or, you know, you're being, but it was Kane telling me. And I was like, I was friends with Glenn. Like he was a super cool it's guy. pretty sincere. Yeah, he's very sincere. And he helped me a ton. Like we were always talking and laughing. Like he was one of those guys that this I was cool with. So I believed him. And they said, it's going to be quick, but we want you to do this with us. We're like, okay. So it was like, it was short. We like, we went out, they did the taker, did his thing. And then Kane came out. It was like the whole Brothers of Destruction reuniting. And then we just, we jumped him. And, you know, I, I didn't get a punch in, but I took a couple. <laughs> I took one from Kane and then I see Taker coming at me. I'm like, Oh, here's my jaw. Just hit me. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I took a I took a punch from take. I'm like, I'm just check that off the list. Cool, I'm done. Perfect. Somebody throw me out. And that was it. I'm like, okay, cool. I can knock that off my childhood dream list. Oh, that's amazing. Well, once again, it's been great talking to you. Next time we're in your area with AW, please come come and hang out. We'd love, I will. love to see you in person. And that's Austin, you said the Austin area? 
Yeah, yeah. I live in Northwest Austin. I'm literally 10 minutes from the HEB Center where you guys do your events. So I'd love to come down and see you. I'll buzz you next time we're there. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome talking to you, Gabby. And congratulations on all your success. And it's been great catching up with you. Thank you, Chris.